0: Thank you for tuning in to Kineticast. I'm your host, Beau Salls. Today we have Dr. Ed LeChera, who is an expert in blood flow restriction. He answers what blood flow restriction is, the physiological changes that occur with BFR, increasing growth hormone and collagen synthesis, how it can benefit geriatric rehab, and improving overall body function with BFR training. Dr. Ed also tells us how a former Mr. Olympia regained symmetry in his upper extremities using blood flow restriction. We also talk about the application of using kineticence to measure the overall functional changes while training with BFR. For more information on BFR, visit edlacara.com, and for more information on kineticence, you can go to www.kinetisens.com. Let's go ahead and get started with episode 14, how blood flow restriction can decrease healing time and increase overall function with Dr. Ed LaCara. Thank you for tuning in to Kineticast. Today we have an interesting episode with Dr. Ed Lacara and we're talking about blood flow restriction therapy. Dr. Ed Licara, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much, and excited to be here. So I want to mention, Dr. Licara is the Director of Education for Smart Tools, a full-time clinician at Body Lounge Park Cities, has a PhD in sports medicine, board certified in rehab and sports medicine, and fully certified athletic trainer, and MBA, and I know I missed one. Did you get it?
1: Uh, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. There we go. That's it.
0: (laughs) I don't know that that's it. There's actually more probably. He's just not telling us yet. That's just kind of Freudian. Just got to get as many initials back there as possible. (laughs) That's right. You have to fill up a business card with just initials. (laughs) Exactly. So let's go ahead and get started. Will you tell us a little bit about uh, what blood flow restriction training is and everything like that first? Uh,
1: Yeah, sure. If you want to just go straight definition, blood flow restriction training is defined as uh, the occlusion of arterial flow into the extremity full occlusion of a venous return back to the heart. And you can either use this therapy at rest or you can use it while doing exercise. And the magic is, is it tricks your brain and your body into thinking you're doing high intensity exercise when you're only using somewhere between 20 and 35% of your one rep max.
0: Wow. So that would, immediately you could think about just taking someone and being able to load them more without having to add the extra weight, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's
1: the protocols that I've written and that are, um, within the evidence are if I can jump basically with most injuries that are not post-surgical right to a situation where we're gaining strength and hypertrophy. Cause mm-hmm. if you really look at the literature, the things that we were taught in school, are not enough load to cause strength and hypertrophy right if you use a resistance tubing and the reason we use resistance tubing the reason we use body weight is because the tissue is injured it can't tolerate higher loads right that's all great and good but we don't get strength and hypertrophy unless we train at something like 70 65 to 70 percent to 90 percent of your one rep max right how long does somebody need to be in rehab before they can actually do those loads it might be 16 weeks, and so over the course of those 16 weeks, how many people do you think Would stick with me for 16 to 20 weeks? It's probably not very many. I'm a cash-based practice. Yeah, and so I've got to literally get people better At least moving in the right direction one or two visits as a cash-based practice Otherwise, they're going somewhere else like that's just that is just especially a new patient. That is just the way it is so BFR allows us to use a small space with little equipment and get changes
0: that we would not normally see without using heavy, heavy load. And I mean, it's immediately safer then, correct? Because you're not loading with the same amount of weight, then you're gonna have to not worry about certain things like someone losing balance, anything that could possibly go into that because it's more controlled. Correct, yeah, you're using light, light loads. You're using your resistance tubing, you're using TheraBand, you're
1: using, I mean, you can see yeah, in our room sure. here what I use. I use, you know, light load. I, I've yeah. got dumbbells up to like, I guess the heaviest load I have there is 20s and we haven't even picked those up because most people can't tolerate. Yeah. And I've got guys, you know, if you look on my Instagram page, like, you know, I've got guys going to Stanford that are, you know, 300 pounds, huge guys yeah. huge guys <laughs> that are playing football there. Um, and we're rehabbing shoulders and things, but we can load them. We can get them fatigued, which is a key component, both central nervous system and peripheral fatigue. And we can get the body turning on what it needs in order to gain
0: strength. And i feet within as little as two weeks. Wow. So what got you to be such a big advocate for BFR?
1: Well, I... You know, I had a really huge, like, epiphany about four or five years into practice, and, um, and I'm old now, and so I've been in practice for a long time. You're not old, guys. Don't worry. I'm old. I've been <laughs> in practice this year 20 years. I can't oh, wow. believe it. Yeah. So, so about four or five years into practice, you know, we were not taught exercise therapy in chiropractic school back then, right? No. I mean, you've got to imagine 20 years ago, most people didn't have a website. Yeah. We did not have active release technique. We didn't have instrument assisted soft tissue. We didn't have dry needling We didn't have kinesiology technique. well. We did but it really nobody was using it at least in the u.s. I Was really I started off as a strength coach and so I would try to apply these things Although I wasn't very good at it because I didn't understand capacity and demand, mm-hmm. you know It's all about capacity and demand. What can our tissue tolerate Yep. Yeah. And is it enough to tolerate the demands that we're applying to it, right? And so I was trying to apply it. I was never taught it. Like we were taught a bunch of BS PT. It was mostly modality, passive care, right? Ultrasound and E-STEM and some Uh, Russian STEM member, right? Um, So I'm trying to figure it out. And so I went to a McKenzie course. I, I had to basically lie and only use my athletic training background because you know otherwise people would ostracize me for being a chiro I mean this is a long time ago yeah. things have changed a lot I think um, people don't understand how ostracized we were you know from a from within our profession um, and I was ostracized within my profession for wanting to do exercise with people for not being a straight
0: chiropractor I had that question going into school why are you not in PT school is what I asked. It was asked by a fellow student I, I, was know, like, yeah, and I know what? It's I, crazy, right? Yeah.
1: Like I've been told that I'm not a chiropractor. I'm not a true chiropractor. Anyway, Yeah, we, we could we, we can 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 go <laughs> on that tangent for, right. for a while there. So anyway, so um so I had this I had this during like McKenzie courses, they really talk about load and how much can the tissue tolerate and how much can the joint tolerate and what directional preference can you take people in, and it just like blew my mind. So as an exercise physiology, um, that was what my undergrad was in, I'm like looking at this going, you know, using these light loads, it's not enough. Like you can't, that's not what we're taught. We're taught that you have to, you know, you have to apply high demand to the tissue. It has to break down. You have to have muscle injury. And then through the rest process is how we get stronger. And it takes somewhere between 12 and 16 weeks. I mean, that's what it takes, right? So, you know, back then I was very insurance based and I mean, you know, I got a maximum of about six or eight visits, 12 visits max for a year. I couldn't even get them to that. So what did I do? You rely on manual therapy, get them out of pain, and you try to get them back to their activity, whether it's the gym or it's, you know, with their personal trainer or it's, you know, nothing. And you basically are leaving these people with this decreased capacity because they've not been challenging their body now for however many weeks while they're trying to heal. And what we know is that muscle degrades, like you don't, you lose capacity within as little as 10 days of being inactive. Yep. So we, people try to jump into what they were doing prior because that's what they think like, Oh, I can just go back to that six mile run, or I can just go back to that 225 bench press after they've hurt themselves and they re hurt themselves. Yeah. And now all of a sudden it's, I can't. I can't do that activity I've got to do something else which is really a shame it just they just didn't give themselves enough time or we weren't good enough as providers to say hey you need more time and we need to gradually keep increasing this progressive load yeah so I got frustrated because I wasn't having enough time and I knew that so I was thinking okay well I can get a little bit better motor unit recruitment by using TheraBand and low load exercise right. um, and then when I was working on my PhD this guy named Dr. Kyle Kiesel was really inventing the SFMA, the Selective Functional Movement Assessment. Yeah. And he introduced me to this whole thing before it was even the SFMA. Yeah. I got to tell you, I've never been so confused in my life. Like, <laughs> right? It's like, I'm learning the SFMA over this couple day process, you know, while he was teaching, and I was honored to be in his class, but I was so confused. It took me a year to undo all those things, right? And it yeah. was like, I had studied NASM, corrective exercise strategy, I was certified in that, and I was using that in my clinic, and so it was kind of like I I switched from the strength and conditioning coach to more of a corrective exercise, corrective exercise. What is that? Well, we try to use low load to try to restore movement patterns, so that's what I was doing for a while. So, and again, I've been in practice for a long time, so I've gone through these like
0: migrations of what I've done. which is cool to see and it's interesting to know, but like, that's good to hear. People need to know about that transition and like the, the growth and all, all the different things that you have gone through.
1: I mean, it's it's crazy how, you know, you think you know a lot when you get out of school and now I'm 20 years in and I'm like, I don't know shit. Like, it's I it, honestly do not know <laughs> That's anything. what I hear the most.
0: It's like, you just
1: keep learning that you know nothing. <laughs> I know, it's just crazy. The more you know, the more you realize you don't You've know anything. anything? Yeah. So. Um, So then when I was working on my PhD, my PhD dissertation was all about lumbar multifidus, cross-sectional area. I looked at MRI, I looked at ultrasound, and then we compared it to the clinical signs of instability for the lumbar spine. And what I expected was to see a cross-sectional area compromise, and there wasn't. And what we found was that it was huge motor control issues. Mm-hmm. So then I went on this huge motor control issue, uh, like I was just like motor control, motor control, mm-hmm. motor control, because again, it would, it would fit within the model of, hey, 6 to 12 visits, I'm not really tra- causing strength and hypertrophy changes, at least I can get the brain communicating better
0: yeah. with the injured area. Then
1: about three years ago, so I'm sorry this is taking way longer for no, the story.
0: No, I like the progression though. No, this is what we want.
1: So like I you know I'm I'm doing this corrective exercise I'm known as this corrective exercise guy I can in front of a huge room of people I can get people to touch their toes where they couldn't touch before and right. you know throw some magic tricks in there right um, a la Gray Cook and uh, Lee Burton and Mike Doyle and all those strength coaches that I look up to the physical therapists that I look up to movement gurus. Um, mm-hmm. And then about three years ago, my buddy, Skyler Richards, he was at FC Dallas at the time. And uh, we were working on some things with a movement assessment screen with um, Fizmodo, a double leg overhead squat, which I had a lot of experience with. I've been using for, you know, 15, 20 years. And um, and he's like, you really got to check out blood flow restriction training. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, okay, whatever. And I really respect him as a sports scientist. And so I, uh, I looked at it. And... You gotta remember, right. I, I've worked with, I was director of education for RockTape. I've done work for TRX. I've I've done a lot of different things for a lot of different companies. And I'll tell you that most of the time when I'm asked to do like a research review, do a lit review, I go into PubMed, I go into Sport Discus, I go to um, Ovid, I go into all these different databases and you can't find much, yeah. right? You don't go into kinesiology data and you're not gonna find much. What I had to do was like morph stuff to make it evidence-based. Yeah. Well, when I went into blood flow restriction training and I started looking at the literature, there was like over 400 studies validating its use. I
0: heard you say that on one of the videos. I was like, that
1: blew me away. And I was like, yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> I don't have to like morph yep. the technology to fit the research. The research is already there. And I'm like, I can get strength and hypertrophy changes in two weeks. I'm like, okay, I've got to look at this closer. So I ordered a pair of cuffs off off online. There was no resource at the time where you could go and take a course for a reasonable price and get a reasonable product and say, hey, I want to implement this into my practice. Because the only product out there that was FDA listed at the time was a $5,000 for a single cuff. And it was just like I'd been through before with instrument assisted soft tissue, where it was like, okay, these tools are $3,000, $2,500. And it's like, geez. I don't want to have to pay that much money to bring that into my clinic. Yeah. So I bought a pair of cuffs that were a little cheaper, but I just wanted to start playing around with it. So I get referred in. So this is my first experience with BFR. I literally had these cuffs for like a week. I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. Because there's nothing out there, right? You've got to take the literature and there were so many studies and I was already doing all this other work. <laughs> So I'm like, okay, I'm going to play around with it with myself, and I've got to figure out what's safe, first of all. That's the important thing. Um, and then I got referred somebody in um, that was a former Mr. America. Uh-huh. Like, big dude, yeah. right? Now Gigantic. Gigantic dude. Yeah. Now, he was a smaller guy. Um, he wasn't a heavyweight, but yeah. he, was, he was yoked and yeah. ripped and all this yeah. stuff. Um, he had had a tricep tendonitis issue, and he had lost about a half an inch on his upper extremity. Uh, around the bicep tricep area than he compared to the other side and those guys are asymmetries he was like I'm going crazy right so I'm like okay so this is what we're gonna do I did some ART did some dry needling did some stuff to try to get the tendon to calm down and I'm like we need to load this tendon I'm a huge believer you got to load the crap out of a tendon eccentric loading loading to start and then you go to concentric after but if you don't load it it's never gonna you're never gonna tolerate the the demands right so um, he's like, okay, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. So I'm like, listen, I'm going to Europe. I gotta go teach a course out there. I'm gonna be gone for two weeks. I just got these cuffs in. I want you to use these cuffs. I set the pressures for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to do three exercises. And I use the TRX suspension trainer um, with a lot of my rehab. You can see yeah. it in the corner yeah, over there. I love man. that thing. Cause it's yep. small. It doesn't take up a lot of blueprint and I can use it with almost everybody. Yep. I gave him three exercises. It was a bicep curl, it was a tricep extension, and it was basically a row. And I said, I want you to do these every other day um, for the next two weeks, come back in, and we'll see what happens. So I go to Europe, do my my thing, don't hear from him, not sure if I'll ever see him again. He shows up for his appointment after I get back, do a recircumferential measurement. He had gained all of his size back. He was blown away, and I was even more blown away. (laughs) I was like, that was two weeks. Yeah. And he was like, this is legit. And if you don't believe me, go on my Facebook page or look up Tom Terliger on Facebook and you'll see an interview that we did, like a little podcast together. Yeah, it's okay. And it's, he was like blown away by it. And he's just like, this BFR stuff is, is legit. And that's when I just went deep dive. And I'm just like, listen, we need to do what we did at Smart Tools. What we did with Instrument Assisted was we took something that was very expensive we made a very high quality product in the united states we made it affordable and then what i did is i tried to put evidence-based um uh, programming and education
0: behind it so i said we need to do the same thing for BFR because this is a game changer in rehab if you're a rehab facility you've got to do something that's going to Help get your patients and or athletes back faster. That's totally. I mean fun. and that's that's what our job is, yeah. right?
1: We gotta get them back and not leave them with a functional capacity that's below what their demands they're are. They're just gonna get hurt. They're gonna get hurt. Otherwise what we have to do is tell them to stop doing what they're doing, which is what most providers and most physicians do. My athletes that. don't want that. Yep. A runner doesn't want to be told not to run. A lifter doesn't want to be told yep. not to go do his Olympic lifting.
0: But you lose the starting positions too. Like if you take them out for this long, you, they're not starting when they come back. Totally. They're backups after that. Totally.
1: So, um, so anyway, long story short, two years ago we came out with our first generation cuffs and we screwed it up. They were too narrow. They had um, a bladder that was not occluding well enough and we fixed it last year, mid-year. Um, and now we got a kick-ass product cool. and um, we get crazy crazy results and I'm teaching all over the world doing it And um, and it's fun. I mean because What is the biggest complaint that I hear from most chiropractors physical therapists strength coaches athletic trainers? They don't have enough size Room or they're they don't work in a gym Constantly like like that, yeah. but you can see like I've got literally a 10 by 10 room here yeah. and I can do anything that I need to do yeah. Um and I get results very, very fast. So that's where that was a very long answer. That was, that was a very thorough answer, <laughs> that was right? A crazy answer, thorough. that's right. So, um, so that's uh, that's where I got into involved in BFR and just having a look back and just continuing to learn. And yeah. there's some gaps in the research that need to be filled. But what's cool is that it's going to continue to be filled because, like, we're getting requests like every week to look at different literature projects that are starting to come out from PhD students. Cool. Um, the reading, leading research in BFR right now is Dr. Loneke out of, uh, University of Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's just pumping out research right now. It's like, it's overwhelming how much study, how many studies are coming out. And we're starting to look at what's really cool. What was done before was really like, how much pressure do we need? What's the width of the cuff? How safe is it? Like all these other things, all that stuff is pretty much done. Now it's like, well, how does it, do with MS and Parkinson's and these yeah. other conditions that's just away
0: from um, just strength and hypertrophy alone. You're immediately musculoskeletal that you would think of with it, you now you're getting into these different issues in the, in the brain that you're trying to work with. That's totally. Yeah, cool. and we're
1: gonna integrate it at Synapse, the um, Parker um, yep. Neuro Institute that I'm helping to uh, bring to life. So we're, cool. gonna, we're definitely gonna do it because listen, I can put somebody on the treadmill for 15 minutes with the cuffs on. Have them walk at a very low heart rate that they can easily tolerate and I can increase VO2 within you know three or four weeks which has been shown in division one basketball players yeah like 15 minutes it normally takes 45 minutes four or five days a week for 12 weeks a lot of work to increase VO2
0: so there's a lot of cool things that, you know, I don't even know yet, but so we're... Let's um, go. Let's jump into safety really quick. So you mentioned sure. safety a couple of times, and I think that's something that listeners will want to hear too. Like, For okay, sure. so if we're occluding and we're doing exercise, is this something safe? Absolutely, yeah.
1: So the, the literature is really clear that there's a lot of... It's very safe. If somebody can do high-intensity exercise, they can do BFR, as long as there's, there's really four things that I tell my students and the people that attend my CEU classes that they need to be aware of. Number one... Is that person at an increased risk for thrombosis because you are occluding blood flow, and, right. and so one of the one of the risks is stagnation of blood. And so if somebody has hypercoagulability issues, um, if they just got off a surgery, like you know, they might be at a little higher risk. And so you just got to be aware of: are they at an increased risk for thrombus? Okay. Number two, cardiovascular risk: do they have any? You know, are they uncontrolled blood pressure? Um, is Gosh. there anything going in the periphery that might be at risk? Um, do they have varicosities and things that might? Now that's not an absolute contraindication, but something that we just have to be aware that yeah. we just don't want to be occluding something if they, it's not appropriate. Right. Um, number three, there's a tourniquet risk. So I put a tourniquet on on somebody. We want to make sure that it's safe for the skin for the underlying structures. Um, number four is muscle damage. Like, can this person experience any degradation in the muscle? And so what we do is we, we don't take them to failure and the programming that we use allows you to not take people to failure and not cause any muscle damage. Yeah. So they can basically train. There's been studies then them training with BFR twice a day. like I would never do that to my patient, I just mean, because BFR is hard, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's, it's hard. It fatigues you. And that's where I really think the key is, is fatiguing the tissue and fatiguing, fatiguing the central nervous system so that you get increases in growth hormone, increases in insulin growth factor. Yeah increases in testosterone, you get this inflammatory response to the area. And so if you have an injured tissue there, it helps to regenerate and and re re-promote that inflammatory cascade that may help and aid
0: in, uh, in a disease process. Cool, and you're talking about uh, like Parkinson's and the other things that, that, that you're looking at working with now with this. So mm. what would it do for, like we have CAMS, so we have the full functional movement screen and it yeah. gives the readouts at the end, it gives you an overall score and your top dysfunctions. Sure. Not thinking about just your top dysfunctions, but thinking about your overall functional score where it records you and it'll put it all together. So would you be able to, would you think that in theory that you could use blood flow restriction to improve overall body function with specific like techniques of using it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what we're gonna do is lay out in our neuro center is, you know, hey, which parts, you know, I'm really thinking of it as like a three part cog, right? You've got the cognitive component that you typically have to help with these people. You've got the physical component And then you really want to bring that all together and then help them in the other ways too, like diet and sleep and meditation. And the other things that a lot of times as clinicians we ignore. So you know, we're gonna have a sleep study area, we're gonna have cooking lessons, we're gonna get them into an anti-inflammatory diet, we're gonna be testing omega-3, omega-6 ratios, we're gonna be doing what we can in order to help them as a whole person yeah
0: and so well um, it's like you can't you can't extract one system from any other system because all the systems work together yeah exactly so, it's like yeah. taking a bicep out and saying oh we can just really isolate this thing that's not yeah. that's not the way the body you works don't, you don't it's work how we muscle. learn it, <laughs> yeah but that's not how it really works i always had someone that would come to me and be like bo you can't you can't rehab one muscle and i'm like i don't think I'm, i can't even fire one muscle so i don't think i'm rehabbing okay. i'm saying this to give a reference to somebody totally yeah, yeah, so, yeah but some people do think that right like there are people out there that are thinking, like hey I'm working a bicep. That's what we're
1: taught. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. that's what we're taught in school. Yeah. It's a functional problem with school. Yeah. Instead of saying, "Hey, we're we're rehabbing your elbow flexors." Right. It's all about a certain you know tissue. Specific. Which, may or may not even be the problem, yeah. you know? Like Just because many, we can
0: see a problem doesn't mean that's the cause of the problem. Totally. Or that's not, not the actual cause of right. the symptoms. So uh, I
1: mean, the best analogy I can give you is if you have somebody with a torn rotator cuff, I will guarantee they have a bicepital tendonitis involvement because that's got to stabilize. Yep. Something, it has to rely on its friends to stabilize, so. Pick miters jumping in, you got a ton of stuff going. Totally. Yeah, So it's, <laughs> um So yeah, so it's, it's more about getting these people As functional as you can and it's looking at the trying to look at the whole system as much as we can um, and that's what we're trying to create there that's cool and that's what we really try to do here at body lounge as well you know I'll show you around later but you know we do vitamin IVs we do blood testing we do um, intramuscular vitamin injectables we do um, uh, nutrition and medically supervised weight loss that's what our physician does so we try to you know, we try to look at the body as a whole and not just me fixing, you know, your hamstring.
0: Right. No, I like that, uh, and that's really important. I think, and uh, a lot of people really want that. They they want their body taken care of as a whole because they. A lot of people know that you can't separate one thing out. Like Absolutely. your diet and your sleep go hand in hand together. Like you you know that if someone's really struggling with weight loss and they sleep one hour a night, they're gonna have to get some sleep to actually get some weight loss. Absolutely. So and definitely, it's, and if the, like they could be eating better and not seeing anything change. But you got to look at other things. Absolutely. So, and I think that, yeah, again, I could go on that one for hours. So, yeah, sure. Um, so, we talked about, like, uh, what physio- physiologically is happening to the tissue.
1: Yeah, so there's a couple things. Um, the way that I like to break it down is that there's local effects, and that would be anything distal to the cuff. So, if I put a cuff, we only put the cuff on two areas. We put it on the upper limb as high up into the, close to the armpit as possible, and we put it on the upper leg as high up into the groin as possible. Okay. So any, think of anything distal or away from the cuff is more into the extremity. So that would be any local change. And then we also have um, a systemic change or something that happens proximal to the cuff. Something that you wouldn't think that would happen because that's not where the blood is being occluded. Right. So if we look at local change or anything distal to the cuff or away from the cuff more towards the extremities, we get something called a cellular swelling phenomenon. And so when we, when we lift weights, you start to create excessive fluid extracellularly. Eventually what'll happen is that extracellular fluid will pump in, into the cells because of osmotic gradients, but also um, just pressure change. Yeah. So when a cell swells, what happens is you're, it starts to expand. Think of it as like a water balloon. As that water balloon continues to get bigger and bigger, eventually if you fill it up too much, what'll happen it'll explode well your brain knows that and so as that cellular swelling occurs those cells start to think that they're going to explode and it starts the process of the mTOR C1 pathway or the protein synthesis pathway so you basically are regenerating tissue without that cellular or that cell apoptosis or death yeah. so that's number 1 i think that's a that's a huge component number 2 that's maybe even a larger component, is because you're reducing the amount of arterial flow into the limb, in the upper extremity, we reduce it by 50%. In the lower extremity, we reduce it up to 80%. Less oxygen is coming in because there's less blood flow. You exercise under low oxygen situation, what you do is you switch from a Krebs cycle of producing ATP to a Cori cycle. When you switch to a Cori cycle, things occur. Lactate pyruvate all these other things. We don't we could spend a whole other podcast. on. We don't need to (laughs) Basically, it's like what I tell patients like is you're gonna almost be feeling like you're doing an all-out sprint and Eventually, you're gonna feel like you're hitting the wall You've got to switch energy systems and that's what happens with BFR when you switch energy systems Now you start to drive more of an acidic environment your brain recognizes that and you start to release growth hormone Um, insulin growth factor, all these other things because your body thinks you're going to cause damage because we all know high-intensity exercise causes damage. What's really cool about this is you're sending things there to repair. There's nothing to repair because there's no damage, and that's why they think that you get such early onset of strength and hypertrophy, because you're just laying down more fibers, more protein synthesis, more tissue. You're fatiguing out type 1 fibers and tapping into type 2s and those type twos are more apt to grow. Yeah. They're more apt to get stronger than the type ones. Type ones are more like our endurance, like our posture. Those don't need to get bigger. There's no reason to. Right. Type twos though are where we want to tap into. Yeah. You can't tap into those using TheraBand's light resistance. Doesn't happen. So those are more, those are like a lot of the local effects that occur, really it's metabolite, um, early metabolite fatigue and metabolite induced fatigue. Um, cellular swelling there's some other things that happen but they're not nearly as sexy (laughs) what happens systemically because they've done studies where they occlude only the lower extremity and Mm -hmm. they look at increase in bench press increase in pec size and it happens so you go whoa what's happening why is that possible well what happens is you're getting a signaling from the brain mechanotransduction meaning actually moving the muscle creates a chemical impulse drop in uh, ph means it's more acidic, your brain recognizes that, and now you start to get the systemic effect. So you can get the systemic effect. In addition, because you're occluding, if we remember our um, cardiac output is equal to heart rate times stroke volume, well, if you drop your stroke volume, in order to maintain the same heart rate, you've got to, inc- I'm sorry, You to maintain the same cardiac output, you've got to increase your heart rate. So what that does is it creates a metabolic load on you and you have to basically work harder. Your heart has to work harder. Your cardiovascular system has to work harder. So you'll do like five pound curls, air squats, and you feel like your heart's going to explode. <laughs> and it's because you're doing much harder work because you have this decrease in stroke volume. So those are the main like, yeah. reasons why it works. Basically what I tell patients, I try not to get too jargony. Yeah. I basically say, you're, you're tricking your brain into thinking you're doing high intensity exercises but you're only doing light loads, 20% of your runner-up packs.
0: That's awesome, and I think that's, again, that's great. That's key to helping people get better faster. Mm-hmm. Now, as you're speaking, I immediately go back to like other podcasts and stuff that I've done. I did one with Patrick McKeown from the author of The Oxygen Advantage. Oh, cool, yeah. And we had a similar conversation about nose breathing and recreating high-intensity, uh, I'm sorry, high-altitude uh, exercise just with nose breathing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, what about the combination of, of these two together? adding this nose breathing technique with that is that too much for the system um, you know what I mean? That might be probably. good to putting too much on to somebody, but Yeah, probably a little too much. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's interesting to think to see how these two things can kinda of correlate and hit, hit hit similar things just from breathing and then doing BFR with your rehab and oh my gosh. Sure, yeah. It's just cool seeing that seeing all that kind of come together. Yeah, you can get very creative with your patients. And again, it's
1: in a small space with not a lot of equipment and not much investment. Anybody can afford it and do it.
0: And that's the I mean that's kinetics altogether, right? We want to be able to do six to eight feet and then you have one camera, you can mm-hmm. tag somebody, take them through everything. Everything, yep. and it's cheap it's not like you're paying $15,000 totally so that, yeah I we get that we're, we're on the same page there too mm-hmm. so um, we kind of talked about like you didn't want to have a high uh, chance of thrombus or anything like that as well mm-hmm. so you staying away from geriatric rehab as much or do you get no. into geriatric geriatrics are
1: prime key, right, right. Yeah. I, as
0: we were, as i was thinking about this on the way here i was like this would be great for geriatric rehab as long as it's safe
1: as long as it's safe as long as they don't have any contraindications um if you're unsure you check with their physician um but you know the there you know after our peak time which most people between 24 and 28 is is the peak that we're going to be ever physically right and then after that we start to decline due to inactivity that's it's not you it's not me but it's most of the world it's yeah right most higher percentage yeah. higher percentage of the yeah. world i mean it's it's a problem especially in the us <laughs> all right um and so sarcopenia this um anabolic resistance all these things that occur inability to process protein like there's there's so many confounders in it but we can take low intensity exercise and we can take these people and we can start to make a difference very quickly. Because the body will adapt. Yeah. What's so cool about, I've seen studies with patients using very, very, very light load as, as elderly people, and as long as they do it regular enough and they go close to failure, they can increase their strength and hypertrophy even at 85 years old. That's great. The body's amazing.
0: But that's what they need for fall risk because you totally. need to have strength. And that's that's where they're they're really starting to lose it is the strength. And everyone's like, yes, but weight loading. You want to load them. You want to for, for obviously bone density, everything like that, we want mm-hmm. to load. Sure. But we have this thing where we can't load them because their legs aren't even strong enough to to balance or stabilize them so they can even balance on one foot, Totally. why am I gonna give them a bar? I gotta start them somewhere to build strength. Totally, and
1: so what's cool is that the studies that Abe has conducted looking at elderly walking on a treadmill, you put the cuffs on, they walk at a very low heart rate. Not only does it increase your VO2, your aerobic capacity, it increases strength, uh, torque at the knee, and it increases cross-sectional area at the thigh. And if you look, talk to my friend, Robin Marcus, who um, is at the University of Utah, she, helped me with my dissertation. She's a big uh, morphology um, researcher and she would say that the correlation between morphology or the fatty infiltrate into the muscle cross-sectional area of, of uh, good muscle mass reduces or obviously increases strength but reduces mm-hmm. fall risk. So you can make a difference with people. Like there's a plenty of PT clinics out there that every patient that comes in starts with 10 or 15 minutes on a treadmill as a warm-up. What I say is, great, but we know walking alone is not enough to move the needle on these people. It's not gonna increase their aerobic capacity, especially for 15 minutes. It's yeah. not gonna increase their strength. Why not put cuffs on, let them do that same 15-minute walk, and now you're moving the needle with these people.
0: Yeah, and there's there's another one. Great toe flexion in seniors. If they if they're weak in there and they increase one percent, it's supposed to decrease fall risk by seven or ten percent. Oh, that's cool. I've seen that. But think about like if we're doing blood flow restriction specifically to strengthen flexors of the feet, then now we're increasing that rehab and we're doing it faster because of two weeks just to make that foot stronger. Let's work on something else. Uh We got so much to work on with these people. We can't spend all of this time doing these different things. And then you give them too much, they just stop doing anything. Sure. So, we have to figure out, that I think this is a great answer for building strength and doing and getting things faster. And I think geriatric is key, because I, I love the geriatric population. They do not get taken care of well enough totally. by, by chiros, by PTs, we, we, miss, we miss geriatric a lot, I think.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, and part of it's not our fault. I mean, a lot of them are on Medicare, they don't reimburse very well. Yep. There's- you know they, they don't have a lot of disposable income, and you know unfortunately we're looked at as not a nece- not always a necessity. We're you know especially we only see 10% of the population as a Cairo, right? Yeah. So
0: you know Ho- and hopefully that's that's on the change too. So. I hope so too. I, I think
1: yeah. you know it's it's very interesting. I think you know your best Cairos don't look any different than your best PTs, and vice yeah. versa, right? They're they're all mixing. So similar, they're yeah. so similar, and you can barely tell the difference. Like people come in here all the time; they have no idea what. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what I am. Yeah. I'm a i am I help you <laughs> yeah. I help you move better, feel better. It's
0: exactly what I about I just want to make you move better. <laughs> that's right. that's, my I mean, job. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's my job. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. So, um, we talked about improving function, we talked about geriatrics, we talked about do you do any sport specific stuff with anybody with uh blood Should like say you have a uh, let's say football linebacker? Is there anything that you would do differently with them compared to a, a different athlete?
1: Totally. There's um, So outside the realm of rehab, I think that the even the bigger group that can benefit is performance. And I'm currently writing our level two, which is a performance based for BFR. So what can you do before activity? What can you do after activity for recovery? I mean, the way that BFR was discovered um, by our Department of Defense and the VA was driving growth hormone. endogenously, your own growth hormone. It's one of the best ways. It's about three X or threefold over your baseline when you use BFR. And the benefit of that was to try to increase collagen synthesis. Growth hormone in the presence of vitamin C drives collagen synthesis. People were coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq with these, um, with these flesh wounds that needed to yeah. be repaired, prosthesis. So they, that's where they discovered BFR, was trying to get these wound repairs to heal better. Yeah. No. So, if we can, if we know that growth hormone is a great recovery aid, right? I mean, that's why people that are that are competing and are weightlifters and bodybuilders do not take growth hormone for anabolic to try to increase their strength. They take it for recovery so they can load more. Yep. If we can drive growth hormone up, that's naturally, every sport takes it. Right. Every sport. If we can, drive, if, we can <laughs> if we can drive that up naturally, that will help recovery with our athletes. We can do it without any exercise. People just lay around and put the cuffs on and we can get that protein synthesis to the cellular swelling component. We just add a little e-stim to it and you can drive uh, growth hormone. Um, We had 22 guys getting ready for the combine. So we were getting them ready using BFR in conjunction with their normal training. So we were getting ready for the things that they needed. The guys that weren't doing really well with their bench press, we worked BFR with that. Uh, vertical jump, um, any of those performance, sprinting, 40-yard dash, those things
0: we can all benefit yeah. um, with different programming with BFR. I mean, we think about performance, we're thinking about specific sports, making someone a better athlete, like giving them that extra step, that extra like split second, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. That's how we think of it, but performance is really what we do with everybody. We try to make them move better, and we try to make them move more efficiently in a more uh, controlled, powerful, and mobile way. Like, that's, that's what we want. Totally. We were now what like what I what my my goal is to take stuff like this that we get that we do with these athletes and be able to provide, provide the exact same thing for our community. Because yeah. we have we have people out there that are like, well, that's just for sports. That that's just a sports doc. Mm-hmm. Well, no. It's a, you move too and you squat too. You just happen to sit down onto a couch and stand back up compared to putting weight on your back. Sure. And so that's I mean what everything you're talking about is completely relatable to anybody that's that works with the body. If you Absolutely. work with the body, you should be able to use this. And, and that's that's what I've been looking into. And that's why I was excited about doing this podcast. Yeah,
1: for sure. And But I do want to make sure that people don't think that I'm saying that BFR replaces high-intensity exercise because it does not. <laughs> it's It can be used as an adjunct, and that's purely what we do. With people that are not injured, what we do is we have them do their normal training, and then they substitute with BFR. I have lots of patients that are Olympic lifters, CrossFitters. They do their normal workouts, and they supplement with it. Yeah. When, when they travel, they bring it with them because sometimes you get to a hotel gym and there's just not a lot of equipment there or there's a <laughs> 10
0: by 10 with 20 freaking treadmills. So over the last six months of my life, I have not been able to work out a single hotel. Right.
1: <laughs> so what you do is you bring your cuffs with you. It doesn't take up very much time or very much space and very quickly you can get a workout in. Um, Just using body weight and um, or some
0: light load. That's great. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome So um, I already said that obviously Dr. Rache and I are gonna be doing this But can you uh, go and tell our listeners where they can uh, find out more information and see where they can get certified Do these different classes find find everything on it
1: for sure. Well, the first thing um, That if anybody's really interested in BFR They should follow me on Instagram because I'm posting all the time about it, but in my bio There's um, there's a link to a webinar that I do every Tuesday. It's a free free webinar just introducing different concepts, different research about, about BFR. You can go on my YouTube channel and I post those, just started doing this, posting those webinars on my YouTube channel so people can get access to that. Cool. That will lead you down numerous roads. If you're interested more, I do live classes um, pretty much all over the world. Um, I'll be at Stanford University um, in August. I'll be um, at Azusa Pacific this weekend. I, I'm all over the place. Um, and then I have about 24, 25 other instructors around the world that are, that are teaching this for me as well. Um, I also have an online class. So people are like, you know what? I don't want to spend the money to travel. I, I want to learn about it a little bit first. I want to look at the research. I can take
0: my online class as well. And you can find that just going to my website, which is edlacara.com. Cool. Perfect. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to have plenty of people will do that. Um, so is there anything, anything else you want to throw in that, you, that we didn't hit? It seems like we pretty much covered everything I could think of right there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, well, we didn't do too, too much. Of, like We didn't do a deep dive. B- no, 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 no. Uh, I didn't want to do that because that would be way too, way too technical. It's, for yeah, some, no, it's too yeah. technical. It's, yeah. um, if you really want to learn about it, what I encourage people to do is, is first of all, use, use some common sense. Uh, there are risks. And, you know, putting voodoo... Floss bands on your upper extremity or your lower extremity is not the best idea, especially in a rehab setting, in my opinion. You gotta find specific pressures and you gotta be you gotta quantify it to keep your patient safe. Yeah. Um, if you're gonna use it, learn, learn the contraindications, learn the risks, make sure that you're safe, just like anything else we do. There are risks associated. Um and um and really just hopefully what it's really done for me is made me look at the whole body. You know, if somebody has an injured shoulder and I can't work that shoulder, well, I can get a crossover effect by yep. working in the left shoulder. I can still work their core. I can still do stuff with their legs. I can still work their aerobic capacity. So it's made me really think outside of just the injured and look at them more, That of their nutrition and their sleep and their meditation. And Which helps and it heal faster anyway. Totally, and, and yep. you know, it builds rapport with your patient. Yep. And if you can build rapport and you can build trust, they're gonna, well, there's something called a placebo effect too, that people are going to get better just with yeah. you guiding them through. Yeah. Um. And and that's not a bad thing. That's no, a good thing. We want them, people to get better. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that whatever it is, if it's BFR, if it's tools, if it's dry needling, if it's manipulation, it's whatever, it's just, I really hope that we start to move more towards active care. Um, not just us as chiros, but even the physical okay. therapists and the athletic trainers and Everybody that's kind of gotten involved with this manual therapy, we've been on this huge manual therapy thing, but it's really just a bridge. It's really just getting people out of pain so that they can move more, which then allows them to move more and more and more and more. And we need because to help them. Because it's a reciprocal them. cycle. If they is. don't move, they get more pain, which exactly. makes them not move. But
0: if they move improperly, they get pain, which makes them not move. And then if they're not totally. moving, they're in pain, so they don't move. So it's just not moving. Totally.
1: <laughs> I, 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 yeah, it's exactly right. So if we can encourage people to be moving more, yeah. they're going to be healthier and... Um, and, you know, and we'll,
0: uh, we'll change more lives. Yeah, for sure. And I'll let you know right now, I'm going to be doing some BFR and running the cams on them and w- watching these scores change and yeah. tracking these patients. And I'm going to track. And I get the cool thing is like, because it'll tell you where your highest, like most inst- unstable basically and most immobile areas are in the body mm-hmm. and tell you those. I'm gonna see like what changes we're gonna get specifically because it takes three minutes to do. I can run them through it three minutes, and then I can do run through BFR mm-hmm. and do it again right afterwards, and watch the fatigue, watch the things happen, That's have right. them come back a little, uh, a couple like a week later, a couple days, do it, and then test them again and watch these changes. Yeah, that'd be awesome to I'm, see. I'm really excited, and I'll, cool. I'll send you that stuff too. That'd be great. Yeah. All awesome. right, Doc. Thanks for joining us. That Absolutely. Really thanks appreciate.
1: so much. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to episode 14. It was a pretty interesting episode with Doctor Lacera. I'm very excited to begin using blood flow restriction with my patients while measuring their overall functional changes with cams. Plus, we can watch the increase of lower extremity power and see how quickly it increases. I also see the immediate application for bodybuilders. Decreasing recovery time and hypertrophy of muscles seems to fit beautifully with their intense training regimen. Again, for more information on BFR, you can go to edlacera.com. And for more information about Kinetisense, you can go to www.kinetisense.com. On the next episode, we have someone that I have referenced multiple times, Dr. Zachary Weeks. Dr. Weeks will be talking about the benefit of using stem cell therapy while doing functional movement rehab with patients. He also talks about how he's going to use Kinetisense to measure the functional changes in his patients after using stem cell therapy. Again, thank you for listening to this episode. I'm your host, Beau Salls. Let's keep learning about movement, performance, and rehab together.